4: It's 9 15 p.m. at 113 East 38th Street, and you're listening to Night Call. Night Call.
0: And welcome to Night Call, a podcast for your strange days and lonely nights. I'm Tess Lynch in Los Angeles, and with me is special guest, Karina Longworth. Hi. Over in New York, we have, as always... Emily Oshita. Um, Hi,
3: guys. Hi. I'm so excited to have Karina on the show. It feels like it's been long overdue. (laughs) Yes, Um, absolutely. And for those of you who do not know, who have been living in a cave, Karina hosts You Must Remember This A really, really great podcast about uh, Hollywood history and scandal and all sorts of juicy stuff that is – it's on hiatus right now, correct? But Yeah. But if you haven't listened to it, you can go
0: back and discover a whole wealth of podcast episodes
3: past. You should also
0: read her books. Her newest one, I believe, is Seduction, Sex, Lies, and Stardom in Howard Hughes, Hollywood, and it's amazing. So you should definitely get that. But, yeah, I think You Must Remember This is definitely, like – Nightcall adjacent, and we've all been big fans for a long time. So we're really happy to
4: have Karina here. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm a fan of Nightcall. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to talk about erotic thrillers. Oh uh,
3: yeah, it's like (laughs) it's really it's really great how much this series of ours has brought people out of the woodwork. Like there are a lot (laughs) of kind of (laughs) secret enthusiasts who are like, oh, when are you gonna do mine? Like my favorite. (laughs) Um, We wanted to start off real quick just to acknowledge. Our new superstar, the literally, uh, the black hole <laughs> that was imaged, I should say, for the first time last week. So this is sort of old news by the time you're hearing this. But we just did, wanted to give it
4: a little bit of a shout out. Where were you when you saw the black hole for the first time? The black hole blip. Yeah, where were you, Karina? I think I like was... I had just turned on the shower and I was waiting for it to heat up and I was looking at it on my phone.
0: Nice. Oh, <laughs> dangerous, dangerous. I live that way too. This black hole has a name and it's it has a couple of names actually. It just got a Hawaiian name, but it's um it was originally M87 star.
1: You know how long star, I guess. it took
3: yeah. me to realize that M eighty three, the musical act slash band, was yeah. named after a star system. I oh, it took me until
0: took I you? was today years old. Forever. <laughs> <Whatever. laughs> well, it's a really yep.
3: beautiful one. So they, they he picked a good one, but um, <laughs> and it's very appropriate once you think about it because it's very like galactic music. Like you feel very starry eyed when you're listening to it. But yes. I had no idea until like a year ago. So, um, But yeah, M87 is the new, uh, the new hot galaxy in town. I know that there's been a lot of little mini stories coming out about it and like the, the, um, the woman who actually was kind of spearheading the entire project who was kind of credited later on down the road. Of course, we tend to lose credit for our women in STEM and astronomy and stuff like that. But that was interesting. But I think like I like just reading what people felt seen it for the first time.
0: What kind of reactions did you see? I missed this.
3: I think Jezebel had a good post where it was just like, they just opened up the comments and said, like, tell us how you feel about the black hole. And of course, a lot of it is jokes. Like, a lot of people had a lot of good jokes about the black hole. (laughs) But I think think it's interesting because it's something that, you know, you feel like you've seen a zillion times because we've seen, like, recreations of them in sci-fi movies or you know in in you know a time life science book or something like that like you you kind of know what a black hole is supposed to look like but actually seeing an actual one is very it it is an interesting feeling i i like it i like i like to ponder the black hole
0: it kind of looks like an like an ultrasound image of an eyeball yeah a little mm-hmm. bit you know <laughs> with like all the kind of strata and the like orangey kind of background yeah it's a little bit too much for me i think we've we've now been talking about the the ultra black holes on the floor, you know, and now black hole like there's been a whole kind of, oh, right. the, of the, art, the art holes, <laughs> art holes, black holes, Molly's fear of holes. Yes. Is now little well holes. Known. The little holes. <laughs> Um, After we finish the erotic thrillers, we should just do holes, <laughs> and then we can do the movie holes. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: well, please uh, give us a night call at six night and tell us how the black hole made you feel, or any other yes. thoughts you might have about the black hole. We welcome them all. The black hole is evergreen content. I feel like it is,
0: <laughs> and literally, expire. I mean, it's yeah, it's timeless, literally. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and spatially expanding.
1: 8, 5,
3: 12, 12, 15. This week's episode of Night Call is brought to you by Cheers Health. So it is spring. It's time for everybody to come out of their hibernation holes and socialize again and remember what it feels like to have human contact. I know that I've been doing a lot of that recently. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. It also involves a drink or two every now and then. Uh, everybody likes a good spring rosé here and there, wedding seasons coming up. You might want to tie one or two on. Do people say tie one on anymore? It's very old. Uh, I sound like an old, old lady, which I am. Uh, I am an old lady who uh, used to be able to, you know, have a few drinks and wake up the next morning and feel more or less fine. But I have experienced in my um, elderly age, as I'm sure that uh, many of you have, that Sometimes it's a little harder to bounce back from two or three or four or five drinks in a night uh, the way that you used to. And that is where Cheers Health is here to save the day. Cheers Health is the product for responsible drinking and drinkers. Like an antacid for alcohol, Cheers neutralizes alcohol's negative effects so you can wake up feeling great after a night of drinking. I now actively swear by it, not just on ads here on Night Call, but in person with other people. It really does make a huge difference. You feel up to 50% better the next morning than you would otherwise without Cheers Health. And it's healthy for your liver. And it really helps you just get the day back uh, when you might otherwise feel a little sluggish or uh, under the weather the next day. To use Cheers, you simply take two to four capsules after your last alcohol beverage or before you go to bed. And if you don't wake up feeling at least 50% better the next day, you get your money back guaranteed. So Night Call listeners, get your day back after an evening of responsible adult beverage drinking. To order, go to cheershealth.com, enter the promo code NIGHTCALL, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off of your first order and a free gift. That is cheershealth.com. Promo code NIGHTCALL, N-I-G-H-T-C-A-L-L, for 10% off and a free gift with your first order. With cheers, you're going to start feeling better when you wake up, and your liver is going to thank you. Cheers. The best thing to happen to alcohol since alcohol. 12,
1: 9, 20, 5, 14,
0: 5, 18, 19. Guys, we are... On our way to wrapping up our erotic thriller, Odyssey. Yeah, we are, we are going to be speaking about Sliver,
3: the 1993 film woo woo. by Phil Noyce. Philly Noyce. I love the last name no- Noyce. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, it's uh, really appropriate for this movie. <laughs> it is, yes. Um, <laughs> we're going to get to that in the second half because, oddly, uh, some, some recent interesting stories have fit right into our wheelhouse um namely the Bloomberg article that came out last week about Alexa and other home uh, i guess what what's the general term Smart for these? Home. smart 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 home devices smart home devices um apparently there's an Apple one I've never heard of so I guess they're not doing a very good job with that one called HomePod <laughs> mm-hmm. but um but there's also the the Google Home um, but Alexa I feel like is the one that everybody has and the Echo um do either
4: of you have an Alexa or Echo? No, but my phone like always thinks I'm talking to yes. you. It's like Siri Siri's oh, yeah. always trying to just like Wedge her way into my conversations. Yeah, I'm surprised she didn't just say something. <laughs> I turned my phone off. <laughs> but I mean, I like I had dental work done last week, and for some reason Siri kept thinking I was saying her name more than usual because I was like mumbling. Oh. So anytime I would say anything that with an S sound, she would be like, "I don't understand."
3: <laughs> see, I thought I had the Siri thing turned on because I can actually see some use for that if I am, you know, washing the dishes or cooking something, and I just need like to to know what time it is or something it never
4: works no it's it never, never works what you want yeah
0: like she never is actually helpful yeah. she's
4: never able to like find like the contact you want her to yeah. find or put on the podcast you want her to put on yeah whenever i'm like tell me how long it's going to take to get to blank place she's like do you want me to make you a reservation <laughs> no <laughs> that's not what i asked she wants i you don't to have put down down any money.
0: smart things i don't like the smart i turned siri off And thought she was completely off, and then she was like, hello, and I was like, (laughs) no, you're off. Um, But I got really creeped out about privacy, not that I really have any secrets, but um, I tried to, like, lock everything down a while ago. But a friend of mine just said that she that Alexa, she's a teacher and Alexa was like chiming in in her classroom with like so some spooky. racy content. Yeah, I mean it's Ugh. just uh, Alexa. None of them have any tact. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. So this article uh, that came out, it was by a, it was like
3: by a team of people at Bloomberg, uh, Matt Day, Giles Turner, and Natalia Drozdiak. The difference between like having Siri on the phone, it's like you're going to get a phone anyway and it's like a piece of software that comes on the phone that you theoretically can disable. But a Alexa is expressly for the purpose of having a robot that listens to you and takes your data and uses it to, quote, get smarter. And so this was a report they did where they talked to a lot of people who worked at these centers. Some are within Amazon itself and some of them are outsourced to other companies where, in a way, I feel like we've seen a lot of stories similar to this in recent years. There are people whose job it is to just listen to your recordings, like listen to the stuff that um, all these Alexas pick up because – it's not just a robot that is uh artificial intelligencing its way to tell you about uh a restaurant that you might want may or may not want to go to. A lot of times these are going to actual humans who then um figure out what to do with that data or try to get better at recognizing what you're saying and why you're asking certain questions and stuff like that. But like in the meantime, of course, they pick up all sorts of stuff that uh you might not actually want anybody to hear, such yeah. as uh, in one case in the report, a sexual assault or a probable sexual oh. assault. Um, and it talks about the people who work at these centers picking up on this stuff and sharing it with uh, everybody in, I guess, like a Slack channel or something. Mm-hmm. But it's not, like, for a means of reporting it. It's like they just talk about it like, yeah, it, you're stressed out because you heard this, so you want to share it with people. Or, like, you want to make fun of somebody singing in the shower that it picked up or something, which is like really creepy. I don't know. Like, yeah, it would be one thing if it was like, Oh, we heard this and we need to figure out what legally we're, you know, what we need to do around what we think we're hearing right now. But a lot of times it feels like it's just like, LOL. Um, or, Oh my God, isn't this creepy? And, and, Nothing being done. Not that like, I think, right. it's not that you necessarily want the authorities to come and rush and help you or something because your robot heard you, but uh, I don't know. It, it was a. It yeah, was I'm creepy. sure the robot
4: is not that great at like determining consent. No, right. no, yes. not <laughs>
3: at all. But like, you know, the robot picks it up and then the humans hear it and then you have a morality question where before it, there were, perhaps it was a different morality question. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just think it's wild that anybody paid to put these in their homes. Like, you're, like, doing the work for – like, you're paying to wear
0: a wire. (laughs) It's just (sighs) – um, there were a couple of other articles this week, too, which will now be a week old for our listeners. But you can I'm sure there will be three more articles about the exact same thing. Um, one of them was how capitalism betrayed privacy by Tim Wu in The New York Times, which kind of talked about how privacy was initially thought of as being kind of like a rich person's, you know, oh, it, yes. only rich people had access to it. And, you know, poorer people lived in more of like a communal living with less expectation of privacy. And then gradually how the rise of the middle class afforded more people the right to privacy. And now, because the gatekeepers are all interested in our data and behavior, that it's kind of turning around where the expectation of privacy is no longer like, you know, it's being kind of eroded. And then there was also a really scary article. CNBC, I think, reported that 22 percent of organizations are starting to track employee movement and Amazon and yeah, Walmart yeah, yeah. And both, yeah, they have like the <laughs> patents on the kind of um, their sensors that track both movement and are, are listening for like the rustling of bags and conversations between um, the cashiers and the customers. Oh, I did. And the beeps see this. of the scanner. Oh, yes! God. I hate it. <laughs> yes. It's horrible. Um, it's very interesting because these things are all so terrifying when you kind of come across them and they've been going on. I mean, if you start to look up about how long people. People have been saying, like, oh, I think my phone is listening to me despite the denials of these companies. We started talking about it a few years ago. Oh, it yeah. had already been a discussion for years before that. But it's just bizarre how little there is to grab onto even now, in terms of, you know, like a really trustworthy conversation about whether or not that's true. Yeah. Um yeah, I
3: <laughs> I mean, I feel like everybody has an opinion now about whether or not their phone is listening to them, especially Instagram. Yeah, Karina,
4: where do you fall? Oh, definitely. My devices are absolutely, you know, I, I know because of the ads I get for right. stuff, right? Like, it will be extremely bizarre of... Almost even like not saying things out loud, just feeling like, did I say that out loud? Like, I thought I just thought that. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you know, you could buy a, a, you know, steampunk laundry hamper. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you've done
3: enough Mm. other actions that like algorithmically would lead you to the steampunk laundry hamper. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
4: Which I did buy. (laughs) You did. (laughs) What does that look like? What is that? I, the aesthetic is more like – it's like what would be in the orphanage in Return to Oz. Okay. Oh, it's okay. It's like, like a metal sort of wire thing with wheels and then like a big canvas bag inside. Mm-hmm. Wow. And no gargoyles or anything. No gargoyles. Yeah, okay. But, I mean, I, could, I guess I could attach you one. You could. Or like an <laughs> attachable
3: <laughs> umbrella, like a, like a really like spire-like <laughs> yeah. umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not a bad idea. Yeah. I, I feel like I remember running into so much resistance about this or people really – acting as if I was a conspiracy theorist like that was the only thing I really seriously I think honestly believed something kind of in that realm that felt conspiracy-ish and was not universally met with people being like oh yeah though that's definitely happening like when I was working at a tech site, a lot of people were like that's a common uh, crackpot conspiracy and you are dumb for thinking that uh, but now, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know where the, the consensus is on it now because I feel like more and yeah. more people are just, like, reporting these things. You see it, like, every single day. Um,
0: Why do you think people get defensive as if it's not a thing? It seems it's as It's obviously though, a thing. It's obviously a thing. And yet people are like, no, 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 you have to believe it's not a thing, which <laughs> seems to me to be a very crazy stance Because it's these people take. who
3: have bought in so much to, like, overall tech culture— where yeah. they've they have put enough of their chips on the thing of like I am going to get into the lifestyle where I do get all the things. I'm an early adopter on everything. Right. I'm going to put all my data on the cloud and that's owned by Google or Apple or whoever. Um, and this is like not just a choice of convenience or something. This is kind of like a, it's like a principle. It's like it's yeah. like it's like a lifestyle choice. It's like a, a set of beliefs. And so if you're if somebody questions the, uh, I don't know, practicality or, uh, you know, how how wise it is to actually do all of this stuff, then it d- does right. start to feel personal. I think for people,
4: yeah, well, I think I mean at one point it was all of that stuff was like viably utopian, and now it just seems like there's no way you could not see it as dystopian. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like
3: uh, like new codes or something. Like you've created this mm-hmm. thing that you know. Is now potentially much more uh, could if it if it were to fall in the wrong hands if it's not already in the wrong
1: hands <laughs> it's already in the wrong hands
0: <laughs> whose hands could be worse there's
4: no you know? there's no right hands in yeah. in late capitalism
3: <laughs> there's a, this is like tangentially related because one of the things I also always would pick up on is that um, I would talk about something like a place or a business. And then it would pop up on my Google Maps. Um, Yeah. uh, It wouldn't be a place I had gone. It was just a place maybe I was talking about with somebody. And now Google Maps, when you're doing directions on it, it will – And I don't think this is like the same phenomenon, but it's just like – it just sucks. It will say – Like take a right, not at the street that you're at, yeah. Like at the Starbucks. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. It's so I hate it so much. (laughs) It's very strange. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but are those placements that are being bought? I think so. I think they have yeah. to be, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, we. I'm getting ones that are, like, really
0: inconsistent with any place I go. Like, Arby's. Right. It's, yeah, I, it's I get a Arby's. ton of Arby's. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, I don't yeah. know. I've, like, totally blocked out Arby's in my field of vision. Like, I don't see them. And then it's like, where's the—I don't know where the Arby's is. Like, yeah, Just tell me where to take a ride. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's very frustrating. Um, it's a giant light-up cowboy of,
3: hat. You can't miss it. <laughs> yeah, it's true, it's true. It
0: was my grandmother's favorite restaurant, Arby's. I love an Arby's. Um, yeah, sorry, this topic. <laughs> honestly, um, there was a quote in the, I think it was the New York Times um, op-ed, and it said that once you, I'm not going to read it, but I'll just summarize because it was kind of long. But once you realize that you're being watched or that you're being surveilled, you can't like continue to act authentically. You can't shake that feeling, and it it totally changes like your behavior in general. So like, what you've really lost once you acknowledge that you're being surveilled all the time is your soul. And that's what Sliver is about. And that's what Sliver is about. (laughs) Exactly. Uh
3: Before we get to Sliver, do you guys want to take a night call?
1: Let's take a night call. Hey, night call. My name's Bree. I'm calling from Aliso Viejo, California, and it is 6.44 a.m. I heard you guys on this week's episode talking about Tippy Hedrin's Big Cat Preserve. And I've actually been there. Um, I was in junior college and I randomly took a, it was a wild animal class, something, uh, wild animal handling, something like that. And we actually took a field trip to the preserve and it was actually really cool. They had a um, lot of interesting things there. One of them they talked about was a three-legged cheetah who they said could still run you know, about thirty miles per hour even with three legs. Um there is also they talked about how they had a a tigon, which is a tiger father, Liger mom. And the the Liger mom gave birth to a Thai ty, Tigon, which is when it's a Tigon who has now bred with a tiger dad. So that was pretty cool. It was a definitely an interesting experience, but I'm all for, you know, people helping out these big cats that have either been abandoned by dudes or by weird people who think that they should probably have a tiger in their house. You know, there's a lot of strange people out there. All right, night call. Have a great day.
3: You know what's funny? I, just as a side note, is how often we get the we get our, our, all of our calls through Google Voice, and it automatically transcribes it. And half the time, when people say "Hi, night call," it transcribes as "Hi, Michael." All the <laughs> so time, I feel like, like our podcast is now uh, <laughs> Michael. Our our pseudonym is Michael. As a, as a group, yes, absolutely. As a trio,
0: um, I didn't realize that different species of wild cats could diversify like that. No, did I did realize. not know about
3: a tygon. That's new. No.
0: <laughs> Sounds like Game of Thrones. It's good to know they're all horny for each other. <laughs> exactly. Maybe it's just the sanctuary lifestyle. like Totally.
4: It's like Plato's retreat.
0: Yeah.
3: Have, uh, have either of you ever been to the Tippy Preserve? I, I, no. I, I just, no. I know one person who has, I think for a story, uh, a a profile of her. But mm-hmm. it seems it seems pretty wild. I can't believe it's still there. And I've never seen Roar either, which like, I I guess, I I don't know, I'm saving it for the right moment or something, but I've always wanted to. Um, Oh, we
0: should cover that. Yeah, I haven't either. I I have mixed feelings about about i mean i'm glad the sanctuaries exist but it's just i i find it increasingly difficult to like right. just look at animals right. in cages yeah well they're not in to, cages like, though right Aren't i know they just, but like, it's like they're just kind of i mean it's it's probably enclosed in some way right it's, like, there's big, a fence though. yeah but it's like it's just odd to me it just doesn't like doesn't really no thrill for me it's just like <laughs> sadness a little layer of sadness and just like worrying about the world
4: there is something interesting about the fact that tippy Hedron like has her cat thing and then Doris Day has, like, gone into seclusion, like, with her animals. Oh. But she doesn't have, like, a public place where you can visit them. She just, like supposedly collects sort of stray animals is she one of these people who has like i didn't know like
3: the pythons in her house or something or
4: i don't know if they're exotic at all it might just be like cats and dogs but she you know she's kind of like disappeared from the public eye over the past 20 years or so she doesn't give any interviews or anything but like the only sort of public stuff she does is is animal rescue initiatives and she supposedly like lives on a a ranch somewhere, like, and it's just her and her animals. She's outlived like her whole right, family, yeah. everyone wow. she ever knew. So, um, only
0: barely related to this. I was looking at um, Yelp reviews for the Bunny Museum. Have you guys ever been to the no. Bunny Museum? No. It's a it's a museum. I think it used to be in like a little house and is now has now moved. But um, I went there once in high school, and it's like. It's just basically a bunch of like bunny memorabilia and then a few bunnies <laughs> yeah. in a very in very close quarters and you don't know what it is and you make a long drive to get there and then it's like it's just a very intense experience that I would say probably ten percent of the people who go there respond well to the others are like what have I done is it like but a cat cafe right for bunnies because I've done that before <laughs> in Japan no it is it is like you're not really encouraged to interact with the live bunnies you're encouraged to like take in the stuffed bunnies and the bunny kind of like your voice makes it sound thing. like the biggest bummer <laughs> in the world I, I get a panic attack talking about it i just had Ooh. to like rid myself but you can just read the yelp reviews and get a really really good sense of what it is i was looking into it recently because i was like bunny museum sounds familiar but i'm sure it's not the same one i went to maybe i want to go oh no it is the same one and i'm not going to go to that you know it's a it's a mixed bag when you when you go into the the place where the there are a lot of animals it's enclosed it, it
3: is really really weird like there I, I watched this um actually really great short film um that I was and I, I was in a jury in a festival in Italy for so it was this film about these like this group of old Italian men who are all like hunting for this mythical panther that's been seen by people like and occasionally will like eat a sheep or something, yeah. but apparently was owned like i guess. By somebody in the 60s or 70s or something when it was, like, I guess guess that was a trend again in Italy, like, among the Uh rich people to have, you know, these exotic pets that then they would get big and they couldn't take care of anymore. So I guess it's somewhat common for (laughs) these, like, panthers (laughs) and cheetahs and stuff to just be, like, hanging out uh you know in Tuscany or whatever that's a It was a fascinating short um I will see that too Yeah I wonder if it's uh, avail- if, if it's available to screen anywhere or stream I will put a link somewhere for it cuz it's great
0: Excellent Guys we have to talk about Sliver yes. I'm really excited to talk about this movie it <laughs> made it makes no sense nah. it makes no yeah. sense <laughs> It's a proto cyber thriller I love yes. it, <laughs> but I, it took me a really. It was a long journey for me. Our erotic odyssey, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, because <laughs> you really have to talk
1: about the end. Yeah, of it.
0: you have to talk about the ending. You have to talk about the ending that almost was. Right. Um. This is a 1993 movie based on an Ira Levin novel who did – he did Separate Wives and Rosemary's Baby, directed by Philip Noyce, as we said, and, of course, it's Joe Esterhaus. So let's let's go. Well, then. first of all,
3: Karina, this was a pick of yours. This is one we had wanted mm-hmm. to do, but then we we asked you if you wanted to be on the show and if you wanted to talk about an erotic thriller, and we were also kind of talking about what you felt like maybe the original erotic thriller was or the history, at least, of the of the mm-hmm. genre – but then we were like, oh, we just want to watch Sliver uh, because, of course. <laughs> Basically. But what, and I know you said that this was a particular favorite of yours. So what? Uh, when did you first see it and how, why did you respond to it, do you think?
4: <laughs> so I saw this movie in the theater when I was in seventh grade. Ooh. I don't know how that was possible. <laughs> I don't remember there being any trouble buying a ticket to it. I know I went with a girlfriend of mine, like, after school on a Friday afternoon at Universal City Walk. Nice. Um, and... I just remember like really loving it at age 12 and a half. Um, <laughs> and part of it was like it had a, a big hit soundtrack. It had that yeah. UB 40, the UB 40 song. song. I think there was like a couple of other sort of hit songs. And so it just felt like so hip and adult and sexy. And I like, I mean, I was a sort of a fledgling goth, and I was wearing a lot of black chokers. And mm-hmm. Sharon Stone wears a choker in like three mm-hmm. scenes of this movie, while also kind of pioneering athleisure. Yeah, True. these incredible like leggings and like cashmere coat looks. Yes. Yeah, um, the straight from the gym like to the
3: bedroom look. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <It's
4: good. laughs> yeah. Um, but then I saw it. A lot after that. Um, I think it was on TV a lot. And then there was a period around 2003 where I was I'd been living in San Francisco and I was going to move to New York, but I was still hanging around after I had to give up my apartment. And so I was staying with a friend of mine who had like a big like Victorian apartment in sort of on the border of Chinatown in San Francisco. And she was on disability for being depressed. And so she didn't have to go to a job. She just was able to live in this Victorian apartment and paint all day. And she liked to paint with movies on in the background. And her favorite thing to put on was Vertigo. Ooh,
1: but sometimes
4: nice. she'd alternate it with Sliver. Wow. And she would just watch the two of those movies like over and over again. And I remember sitting there for like three days, reading the book that that guy, Steve Hodell wrote about how his dad killed the Black Dahlia while this woman was watching Sliver over and over again. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that is a mood. So, Yeah, it's not not depressing. So that was (laughs) August 2003 for
1: me.
3: (laughs) Wow. Um, It's funny because I was talking about like real estate horror and I feel like there should be more of it. And then I was like, well, this feels like maybe one of – Five movies I can think of off the top of my head that I would consider real estate mm. horror.
0: Well, Karina read the book, and I think the book yeah. is way more about the physical place, yeah. the apartment, and kind of like less about whatever these social yeah. dynamics are. But it's, it's also so like,
4: I mean, I haven't read the book since 1993, yeah. like, I, cause I love the movie so much as a 12 and a half year old. And then, like, I was like, I need more. And so I, I read the book then. So I don't remember it that well, but I do remember it, that there was more of this. Element of kind of like corporate satire. Right. You know, and there, I mean, I guess we should talk about what the plot of the movie is, but there are conversations in the movie where at first they're like, who even owns this building? Yeah. Right. Who could it be? And then <laughs> yeah. it turns out it's just Billy Baldwin. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Billy Baldwin, interesting choice for it's me just like, for this role.
3: Yeah. I mean, he makes much more sense as the guy yeah. with the manga posters and, like, three different screensavers, like, in 1983 <laughs> yes. going on and, like, some weird um, fiber optic sculpture in his apartment than, like, the sexy guy, like, the sexy voyeur. Like, I don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One half of those works more <laughs> for me than the other.
0: <laughs> and as And as great as Sharon Stone's wardrobe was in this movie, like, his was just – a really bold really strange choice of the graphic t-shirt with rolled sleeves I mean, tucked he, into the jeans he into looks, white jeans he white jeans. looks so, I know. like he lives like he looks like a guy in brooklyn now though that's
3: the crazy thing it's like it's come yeah. it's come full circle
0: i know it's true well a lot about this movie is like more timely than yeah. it seems like it was at, in 93 but yeah we should talk briefly about the plot, the plot <laughs> yes which the let's let's untangle it um. So we have Carly Sharon Stone, and she is I forget. She she's an
3: editor, or a publisher. She's or she's an editor, executive, or something like okay. that. A hot. Book she's executive. working on a
4: James Dean biography yes. that yes. <laughs> she has to like edit really fast. And I wish she had edited it and published it because there are no good James <laughs> Dean biographies. <laughs> it's true. It sounded.
0: I mean, it sounded like she was. You know that she was. She had a, a good repertoire, and that that was like slumming it a little yeah. bit. So it would have been great. <laughs> Um. Then she is moving into an apartment which is known as 113. Um. The Wikipedia for this film says that it the building is located at 113 East 38th Street, but the actual building used in the movie um was Morgan Court, which is a couple of blocks away on Madison. Um. It is a the sliver building because it looks like a little slice yeah. of a building. And
3: apparently those were like you couldn't build those for a while. I guess. Before or after, like, this big boom of them. But now I feel like they've come back, baby, um, in, like, (laughs) bigger and more obtrusive form. Um, But I like that it was, like, considered – I guess it was, like, a very, like, au courant uh, architectural style to, like, frame a horror movie or, or like, a suspense (laughs) movie around or something. But yeah, it's, you know, it's this very desirable, exclusive building and she applies and she gets in and, you know, very shortly after she moves in, she realizes that the previous tenant was murdered, which we see in the And looks just like her. Yes. Yes, Naomi Singer. Yeah. And she meets some of the people who live in the building and one of them happens to be this author, this like crime author played by Tom Berenger who... I guess her company's like trying to get her to work with, but she's just but not he's into super him.
4: creepy he's and harassing. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um and then also Billy Baldwin, who is uh <laughs> not creepy. No, he's, so creepy. he's also so creepy too.
0: <laughs> They're he's both a video creepy. game designer. He's a computer like,
3: video game designer, I'll have you know. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, okay, fair. <laughs> and his like signature flirtation move is to like hack into people's desktop computers yeah. and be like, hello, I love you. <laughs> he's Ghost And then send them clip art of a <laughs> flower. <laughs> like flower. The rose clip oh, art thing is incredible. So
3: creepy. Nothing and more 1993.
0: Nobody, yeah, nobody in this movie <laughs> has a sense of humor and also um i have to shout out sharon stone's office mate her co-worker oh, yeah. who is like whew, so off the rails oh. and constantly talking about vibrators and a really unrealistic <laughs> there's a realistic way to do it i swear <laughs> but it's not not being not happening in this movie uh, played by oh,
4: yeah. the great colleen camp
0: yes colleen camp yeah a bunch of like r- great talent in this movie like it's you know just like weird weird cast I was like where's Michael Douglas for this right. William Baldwin role but <laughs> alas well, I, were,
4: I yeah. mean Alec Baldwin would have been better casting yeah. because yes. I feel like Alec Baldwin's the only Baldwin who is like legitimately scary and yes. menacing yeah. um, whereas Billy Baldwin it's like it would just be so easy to be like, you know what? I'm just like, not going to hang out with you anymore. Like, yes! you're just I'm not worried yeah. about repercussions of that. Yeah. <laughs> he can't really get his hooks in.
3: <laughs> I feel like a Rupert Everett I would like in that role better. Like I would want like a really gorgeous, possibly British person who's like. <laughs> yeah.
0: British would have been better
3: for sure. Um, who like feels like a pasty indoor kid, but is also beautiful. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs>
0: Also, there's just something really confusing about the character's seduction of, like, approaching her with a very aggressive, listen, do you work out? Yeah. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, come on, you're going to, she was like, what, treadmills? He was like, no, we're going to lift weights. And then, like, drags her down to the gym where <sighs> she just, like, watches him lift weights. That, this when I realized
3: that they were going to go to the gym, I was like, yes, gym scene in 1993, <laughs> baby. <laughs> No mirrors. No mirrors. I was going to do this piece about Equinox at one point, so I was doing all this research. And there's a piece about, like, when Equinox is having its boom in the early 90s that's, like, just a wonderful slice of New York in, in 1993. So I was I was into that. Oh, she also gets a telescope. Or, yeah, a telescope. Yeah. One of those spyglass-type things uh, in in her window. Somebody gives it to – I mean, it's secret later... Secret admirer. Yeah, it's later revealed that it was Billy Baldwin, but she just thinks the secret admirer dropped it off, and so she's, like, also staring... Like, spying on her neighbors a little bit. She has a cocktail party, and they watch the neighbors have sex, and it's like, oh, she's into the voyeur thing. But in the meantime, uh, another person dies in the building, The the... NYU film professor guy. Oh, right, yeah, he dies. Yeah, Yeah, the film professor dies, the
0: cokey fashion designer dies. Vida. Vida. Played by Polly Walker, who's really good in things and is kind of good in this, but also like a very
4: strange character, I thought. Yeah. Um, Just sort of the like very high strung artist. I feel like there's a lot in this movie where... I mean, I, I think that at one point it had an NC-17 rating yeah. and then they cut it. But the big thing they cut was Naked Billy Baldwin. Oh, but it man. also just feels like they cut out a lot of sort of narrative context. Right. Like, yeah. It is apparent that the Vita character is a prostitute. Really? But only if you like really listen to like one of her phone conversations. Yes. And then like there's all this stuff where it's sort of hinted that... Sharon Stone has just left a marriage yeah. that was abusive in some seven way. years, yeah, seven yeah. years, and yeah. she's but pregnant. You you,
0: is she pregnant? The, okay, thank you. There's a part pretty early on in the movie where she it's before she gets um she she, she takes, takes the, the bath, bath, the bath, a really good bath. A really great bath. (laughs) She starts, like, stroking her stomach and, like, looking depressed in the mirror. And I was like, oh, she's pregnant. And she's
3: also been looking at the party across the way. And she's, like, very obviously not partying. And so I was like, oh, she's, like, not drinking.
4: But then she's drinking later at her own cocktail party. So I don't know. I saw that more as, like, she's already said she's 35. She's been in this marriage for seven years. She didn't have a baby. And she's just, like, you know, regretting that she's not pregnant.
3: (laughs) As we all do by holding our bellies (laughs) at some
4: point. Yeah, (laughs) just thinking. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's clumsy, and I don't know if it's because of like the necessity to edit it for censorship or for, as we'll get to, like test screening reasons. Yeah. But then there's a lot of stuff that I think feel like I appreciate the subtlety, and I don't know if it's intentional or not. But mm-hmm. first of all, like the first like hour of this movie is incredibly slow. Yeah. It's yeah. almost yeah. like a European movie. And you're just kind of watching this, like, you know, not middle age, but like slightly older than ingenue age woman, like, kind of living her life, and it like, exploring, like, what kind of person she's going to be. And, like, Mm -hmm. there's, like, creepy men everywhere, but she's, like, kind of willing to hear them out. In a way that's interesting and exposes yeah. who they are more than it exposes who she is. Yeah. yeah. And there's just like some interesting stuff with it where it really does feel like it's it's kind of like a post European update on Hitchcock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, you know, like wacky sexy. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs>
1: yeah, I
3: mean I really like her character in this. It isn't just one thing. It's like she is just a gal who's like works a lot and is sort of interested in dating but not in like this super like all-consuming like it's her whole reason for being that she needs to find a man like she's not gonna go to a Pavarotti concert <laughs> well um, <laughs> really
0: long scene about Pavarotti. yeah again that's the <laughs> opera square strange. on
3: the erotic thriller uh bingo yes um but yeah like it seems like she likes her job it seems like she's pretty successful she like wants to be dating but she's not really it's not like she's gonna just jump into bed with whoever until she meets Billy Baldwin like their relationship is sort of interesting in that in that kind of nine and a half weeks way where it's like some you you're kind of through the relationship you're watching somebody figure out like what they're into I, I but yeah. I think like obviously it, it it's it leans a little it's a little less up for interpretation uh in in this film than in nine and a half weeks but
4: I mean, the thing that we haven't said is that Billy Baldwin, like he owns the building. And the reason why that's important is because he has cameras in every single room and he has like a control room, which he brags cost six million dollars for him to build in 1993. (laughs) He got it built in
3: Osaka. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
4: (laughs) And he's just able to watch every apartment and every room in every apartment. At any time. And so after he started having sex with Sharon Stone, he like reveals this to her. And at first she's fascinated by it. And she sits there for like apparently 24 hours at a time just watching the video. She stops eating. Like it's like
3: all all consuming. And I feel like that just felt to me like, oh, this is when somebody like discovers the Internet for the first time. Uh, yes, it is totally like it, it completely changes your perspective on uh, uh, you know or I I don't know it's like a it's it's addictive because it's new and it's it's a new way of getting information and it's information that you never had access to before and so it's just like you have no way to stop yourself you don't have any of also.
0: Her reaction to seeing this is so impassive, which is really surprising because you would think that she would be I mean, she it's revealed that like he has tapes of, you know, the two of them having sex and he plays it for her. He also later, we find out, has taped himself having sex with a bunch of other people. He has those um, tapes underneath his shoes in a little trapdoor thing. And like some of the stories, like we get like a little kind of like plot diversion into a, a, you know incest kind of thing that's going on that's like, you know, she just... Her reactions are really subtle to the fact that these, like, while she's watching all of these different tapes, right. you would expect her to be more upset at Zeke or want to do something more, right. which is much like we watch, you know, like, taking in news on the internet or just, like, watching, right. scrolling through people's lives. It's, like, this hypnotic thing where you just don't her. really react. Yeah. yeah, Like, they really, I mean, they really oversell it, I
3: think, but, like, doing this thing where she is just instantly, she, she does have a first reaction of being horrified and disgusted by this and try, and is about to walk out. And then turns around and it's like she stares at the screen five seconds too long, and then is like, "Oh, yeah, I must watch yeah. more." Um, right, which is very. I mean, yeah, it feels very. <laughs> that feels understandable, yeah. and I, I, okay. I wonder, like, the 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 reception of this film. I mean, the negative reception I mean, right now it's like gotten eleven percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> but is that I mean about the the far fetchedness of it or something? Because I feel like that is less of a problem
4: now than maybe it was in nineteen ninety three. Yeah, I don't I don't really remember what the reception was like. Like amongst me and like my middle school, like the reception was very high. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe maybe 13-year-olds are the ideal right. audience for this movie. Yeah. Right. But um also, I think it was just like it was post Basic Instinct, and yeah. I think people were expecting kind of a higher level of sophistication in terms of storytelling. Yeah, Basic Instinct was the year before. Yeah, I think Basic Instinct was yeah. ninety one, but ninety one. Sure. Okay, so maybe two years before. Um,
0: I read like a couple of old reviews of it, um, and I my main problem. So the the crazy thing about this movie is that the ending was changed. Yeah, an original ending was shot. It didn't test well um there was also a, a horrible accident that was um you know involved in the shooting of the first ending so the original ending and kind of and this is the the big spoiler is that zeke has been killing the people there are you know three or four people who have died in 113 and he has killed them and he confesses this to carly while they're in a helicopter in hawaii over a volcano. And then he flies the helicopter into the volcano. Wait, what? Yes, <laughs> yes Emily. Yes, That's such and a then good... you don't know you don't know whether or not they survive. So basically, this was this was scrapped for two reasons, I guess. Number one being that the actual helicopter crashed oh during god. the filming.
1: Oh my god! And so,
0: and the pilot's license was revoked. I don't know if anyone yeah. was hurt or killed. Like it just seems like a mess. And they destroyed the footage. So, and I guess audiences also had a problem with the fact that they were like, oh, Carly like forgives the killer that makes her so, you know, unlikable. I just, you know, now I hate everyone in the movie. So they're like, oh, okay, like, let's figure out something else. Now we'll make Tom Beringer the murderer.
4: Which makes sense in, to some extent because he's just creepy. Like right. he's never anything but creepy. Yeah. But here's my issue, and I pressed Karina on this
0: earlier, <laughs> but if Zeke... Billy Baldwin has been watching these tapes of people and he claims at one point he's like I never saw anyone die one the Naomi singer was pushed off her balcony you know it's like maybe they they frame it as like a suicide but it seems obvious that everyone's suspicious. The man is it? Two people fell in the shower. One person falls in the shower. Well, the
4: the old man. Yeah, he yeah. falls in the shower. But I get the feeling that that was just like he just had a heart attack or something. But the police mm. are suspicious. Yeah. like right. they're questioning everyone because right people afterwards. keep dying in that building. But right. it could be a coincidence. But then the uh, the cokey model By slash that. prostitute dies as yeah. well.
0: Yeah, it's just interesting to me that Zeke could be the kind of character. Who's like, people keep dying mysteriously, and I have footage of, like, the entire building. Isn't that weird? Huh? <laughs> what if there were some way I could, like, eh, no, I'm not going to pursue it. Because he never, he doesn't even, his interest isn't even peaked. And the other reason that that's weird is that he had been having an affair with Naomi Singer, who had also been sleeping with Tom Berenger's character. Right. So there was, like, this weird love triangle, and you would think that Zeke would have a suspicion that Tom Berenger had killed her. Right? right? Because he right. probably has some insight into her psyche, and yet he never brings up, like, is Tom Berenger a super creepy weirdo? That's never a scene.
4: Yeah. It's just never... Well, no, doesn't he talk to... Sharon Stone about that though he's like I don't like that guy I think he I think says I don't like that Tom guy but I thought he was says after... it a lot
3: about about right uh, Zeke. I think
0: right. it was after Tom Beringer was like he's so sick he's yeah. yeah yeah yeah
4: <laughs> but so my the only thing I can say in defense of this is that I don't think that Billy Baldwin's character would want anyone to know about his video room yeah so he would never want to produce these tapes because like his whole life is about like watching the people in this building right yeah and so if he had to admit like how he had this footage. Like he he would probably go to jail like he'd lose the building.
0: But couldn't he be sneaky and be like, <laughs> oh, I see what happened. And now I'm going to like figure out how to build a case against Tom Berenger. I don't know. I
4: I think I don't know. We could write a remake. We should. The whole idea (laughs) of
0: it is that, like, that
3: that the access to all this stuff that he's recording makes him like completely amoral, or like, yeah, yeah, like he he doesn't think about things in that way anymore. It all becomes entertainment to him, Um, or he
4: has this sort of alternate morality, like he's. mm -hmm. The whole thing about like the he's watching this father molest his daughter yeah, and he right. like figures out a way to like confront the father and then he right. tells Sharon right. Stone like like we'll use we'll use our voyeurism for good right yeah <laughs> right which is like I don't know
3: I mean he's just re- represents like all of tech culture now <laughs> it's right, like, yeah. we don't need to bring <laughs> in okay. actual law enforcement or anything we'll just have a very questionable moderation system in place that may or may not work depending on the whims of the people who are in
4: control of it uh right right and i find this like that aspect of the movie to be absolutely fascinating totally. and the way that it ties it like sort of is perpendicular and like hits up with this stuff of like a woman trying to find herself sexually yes yeah. mm-hmm. i think Really
3: good. <laughs> it's, it's a story of falling in love with with Big Daddy Data. <laughs> uh, yeah, big daddy I mean the, the yeah the ending the alternate ending thing is is like I don't know it doesn't really work for me. I was I was totally expecting. It to be a switcheroo where it's like the guy you think is creepy all along wasn't that creepy. Uh,
0: I was expecting to. I mean, I was like, they wouldn't set up Tom no. Behringer's character as being this unlikable right. and then have him be the person who was doing this. Like he has to be, be a red right. herring. Yeah. And we and should then, note no. that
4: what actually happens in the movie that was released is that Sharon Stone like quasi-accidentally kills Tom Berenger, and then in the video room, she like basically is like hey Billy Baldwin like I haven't eaten could you go get takeout yeah <laughs> and then he leaves her alone and she goes into his closet and finds his tapes that like show that Tom Berenger was the real killer mm-hmm. but then she takes a gun and shoots all of the yeah. TV monitors yeah. and she says Billy Baldwin six million dollars setup. what is her last line because it's one of those things where it's get like a a, <laughs> a, <laughs> get a life get light, a life she says and then <laughs> hard cuts yes <laughs>
3: it's amazing I, I laughed out loud I have how old yeah. that? That's one of the best yeah. credit I kept cuts. going
0: back because I was like, is, is that really <laughs> what she said? It's astounding
3: that it, it plays out that way. It's just funny because that is the most 90s thing about it, I think. Like, that's the mm, one yeah. thing does, that feels old is that, like, that kind of, like, get a life about anybody who's, like, <laughs> like, into video games or into, like, the internet yeah. or anything like that. Like, computers are for nerds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but
3: little did we know... Um I mean, like, I kind of want to watch it again because I feel like – I feel like it's got such an odd balance and I think a lot of it is probably because of that changed ending. Like, I mean – (laughs) Yeah. I wrote down the thing about the volcano because – he does mention to her that he has always wanted to fly into a volcano when she's at his apartment. Uh, uh,
4: Zeke does. Because he has this like creepy glass phallic yeah, model yes. of a volcano on his coffee but table. But it's like
3: it, I, b- without knowing that that's the, that was the original ending, it just sounds like a really, really strange double entendre. <laughs> like I'd love to yeah. fly into your yeah. volcano
1: sometime.
3: <laughs> uh, and yeah, there's yeah the, all the... Like, do you have like I wrote down all of his messages. Like, do you do you have any body parts that hurt? I miss you. I can still yeah. smell you. Like <laughs> and then the and then the clip art of the rose. Um the clip
0: art of the rose. Oh god. Yeah. <sighs> no,
3: it's the stuff with the the surveillance comes so late in it that I think like if I was to remix this movie, that would come at least halfway through, like where she would get involved in it and become the person yeah. who's watching stuff because then that feels like what the movie is actually about in a way it feels like it takes a really long time to get there and then once you get there you're like oh okay i see what this has all been about but um yeah but i thought it was in- I, I liked it i yeah i was into it
4: <laughs>
0: it was de- it definitely belonged in the discussion absolutely of the erotic yeah. thriller <laughs> um before we wrap up i wanted to ask karina like how she felt the the kind of erotic thriller boom like has its place in this history because I didn't realize how many erotic thrillers just exploded I, after Fatal Attraction. Yeah. Um, but again, repping that erotic thriller Wikipedia that someone yeah. did the Lord's work on. I was like, nice. Yeah, over three hundred wow. and maybe closer to five hundred. Um, erotic thrillers produced in the nineties, which is like, just yeah. seems. I, we have a lot of work yeah. to do, you guys, to see all of these. And there's all
3: there's there's levels of, of
0: highbrow and lowbrow. <laughs> yes, well, of course. Like, uh, yeah. But why do you think, like, what besides yeah. the kind of, like, VHS direct-to-video kind of, you know, making that a good movie to watch at home? Mm-hmm.
4: Um, That's definitely yeah. part of it. I mean, I think that if you talk about the sort of the historical trajectory... On that Wikipedia page, it says that the first erotic thriller was *Double Indemnity*, which I think is hmm. incorrect. I oh. cer- like I certainly like can think of movies that would qualify that came earlier. And also, mm-hmm. I feel like the problem with calling *Double Indemnity* an erotic thriller is that like. It begins with Fred McMurray being like, I know like everything's over and I'm fucked now, but let me explain to you what happened. Mm-hmm. And so you know like it was it's a, a bad idea for him to hook up with Barbara Stanwyck. And <laughs> right. I feel like part of the thing about erotic thrillers is that you have to like suspend disbelief and you have there has to be like a portion of the movie where you're like, This is hot. Like yeah. maybe this right. will work out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so nine and a half
4: weeks. But week that style. movie yeah. is like
0: wildly sexy too.
3: Like I yeah. was very I saw it somewhat recently and I was like, it's very like like not at all veiled in its sexuality and like you know all these ladies throwing themselves at fred mcmurray it's um, right,
4: right
3: yeah feels right odd. but
4: <laughs> i mean i think that the reason why there obviously like weren't as many erotic thrillers until you know let's say the late 60s into the 70s is because of the censorship mm-hmm, right you know there was coded literally coded ways yeah. in which you could have sexuality in films and especially the way that you'd have to have somebody be punished if they were yes, having like yeah. premarital or extramarital yeah. sex. It's the same with with heist um,
3: movies too. They always get punished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have a successful right. heist crime for Right, crime can play.
4: <laughs> right, right, right. So, and that stuff starts to break down in the 60s. And then you also have this wave of filmmakers like Brian De Palma. They're the first generation of like film school or cinephile American filmmakers mm-hmm. who have grown up watching Hitchcock, grown up watching th- films like you know, these proto-erotic thrillers, like film noirs, The Postman Always Rings Twice, things like this. And then Bob Rafelson, like, remakes The Postman Always Rings Twice. Like, you know, even something like Chinatown is, like, in di- – is, like yeah. – A kind of sexier update of these previous genre films. And then moving into the 80s and 90s, um, you have the explosion of the home video market, the explosion of cable TV, Mm -hmm. and the possibility of being able to get around the rating system by releasing director's cuts and Mm -hmm. unrated versions of films. And so you have an incentive to, like, have a movie that, like, can be released theatrically as an R and then have a separate version to get people to pay for it twice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It works. Yeah.
3: It's <laughs> the perfect genre for that stage exactly. of the
4: medium.
3: <laughs> yeah. So is this your favorite one in the in the canon? Would you say, or do you have any other other faves? I
4: mean, this is kind of a sentimental favorite, yeah. I would say. Yeah. And another one that I also remember seeing in the movie theater at too young an age and went to by myself was *Indecent R- Proposal*. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I really like Adrian yeah. Lyne or Adrian Lyne's movies. I wish he'd make another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, he announced that he was making a movie with Nicole Kidman, and I—oh my god! I hope that happens. Put someday. it out. <laughs> we'll
0: put it out into
4: the on the airwaves. We're official. Like, uh, this
3: is an Adrian in this house. We respect Adrian, oh, yes. like, that is yeah. our big yeah. time. That between yeah. Fatal Attraction and and Nine and a Half Weeks, it's like we're all in,
4: yeah, yeah. I love Nine and a Half Weeks, I love Unfaithful, yeah. Oh, oh Unfaithful, yeah.
0: so good. I feel like we might have to talk about that if this erotic odyssey continues <laughs> out deep into the future.
4: And another one I just wanted to mention, it's a movie that I didn't really like at first, but has really grown on me over time is In the Cut. That's what I hear. In the Cut really
0: like grows Mm -hmm. on people. They can't really let it go and then you become fond of it.
4: I wrote like a big thing in graduate school about it and Meg Ryan and like her kind of using the erotic thriller as a way of changing her persona Yeah, Mm -hmm. and kind of like comparing that movie to When Harry Met Sally where like that persona was like I like fake orgasms. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have I don't have genuine sexual pleasure. And then In the Cut is like you know she's just like naked with Mark Ruffalo in a very exciting way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no th- this has been great I'm really I'm really glad you could come by and talk to us about this and yes thank yeah. you so much Cre cool. it was really fun
0: you are. The original original podcast girl in hoodie (laughs) adjacent person. So we and also we have to shout out Karina. I don't know if we mentioned that she was at the first night call night event um, where we summoned Satan at takes yeah. a restaurant there'll be an oral takes. history of that <laughs> night's night there will be <laughs> yes so we're forever <laughs> indebted to Karina thank you so much for yeah. coming by thank and where you. can we uh, where can people follow you online
4: I'm on Twitter at Karina Longworth and you can find my podcast you must remember this um, on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts there's 145 episodes and hopefully someday there will be more it's like not quite plenty yeah. to get <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like enough to keep
3: you busy for a long time and it's really really great it's yeah. always a good listen Um Thanks. well thank you everybody for listening to Night Call this week be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a rating and a review uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Night Call Pod uh, Instagram at Night Call Podcast and Facebook at Night Call Podcast we will be back in two weeks we are taking a week off and we'll have Molly back. The whole game will be back together. So we will see you then.
0: Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Any disease.
4: Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeton from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos.
0: Or call
4: 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack